I wanna be a billionaire. I ain't getting no sleep till I see a million every week. I wanna be a billionaire. I ain't getting no sleep till I see a billy every week. I wanna be a billionaire. Billionaire. I wanna be a billionaire. Ladies and gentlemen, how you doing? Welcome to another episode of Sleep is for Billionaires, the podcast. I am your host, Johnny Vegas. Now today, ladies and gentlemen, I have a national treasure in my presence. This man has served as a pastor at First AME for over 27 years, which yes. is one the oldest African-American church in Los Angeles. Yes. Also, the University of Southern California named the Center of Community Engagement after this man. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Reverend Cecil Murray. Thank you. God bless you. And thank you for honoring me by this inclusion. Thank you, sir. Thank you for uh, allowing me to interview you on this platform. You know, uh, it was an honor to meet you. I've heard about you for two years before meeting you. So you were like an urban legend to me <laughs> before I met you. Oh. <laughs> and then when I met you, it was like, oh my God, there he is. <laughs> well, so, I'm here for you. And if there's any time that you can use a prayer, I'll include you in my 6.30 sunrise prayers each morning. Oh, awesome, <laughs> awesome. Well, we'll definitely get a prayer before we exit. Thank you, man. Thank you. Right. So how are you doing today? Blessed. Mm. Every day is a good day. I may not be a good person, but I know enough good persons that I can find role models. Like you, keep on keeping on. <laughs> I try, I try, definitely. Well, I'm glad you're here with us today. How's your How's your health? How's everything working? So far, so far. And at 89, I thank God for the freedom to keep on keeping on. There you go. I love it. So tell me, how'd you get the nickname Chip? You know, a lot of people call you Chip when I met you. I was like, who's my Chip? Father, I came to meet Dr. Murray. <laughs> my father was the principal of the school. Mm -hmm. From the time we were in third grade till we finished 12th grade, industrial high school, West Palm Beach, Florida. He was the principal. And, of course, my brother... And I had to make some adaption, adapt changes because my father was a disciplinarian. Mm. Come on time. School starts at 8 o'clock. Mm. So 20 minutes before 8, 25 minutes, he would be down at the street that led into the campus where all those who came late to school knew that they, if they're going to come, they better come running mm -hmm. because uh, otherwise they come walking and you're late coming to school. Then you get shunted up to his office and around nine o'clock, all those who were late, he meets them in the office and he takes the belt off. And each one gets three strappings. Ooh. 
So everybody knew to be on time, and if you're not on time, come running. Our Professor Murray going to meet you with a belt. Oh, man. <laughs> Things have changed mm -hmm. radically since then. Right, right. No, sure. So tell me, why do you think the call of Mr. Uh, ministry came to you? Thank you. I think when you know God, you begin to have thoughtful conversations with God. From the time I was a youth, I can remember in fourth grade, fifth grade especially, because mm -hmm. Miss Savage was one of our teachers and she would say to me boy you gonna be a preacher as you grow and in ninth grade I learned Latin because I knew I was going on to college in Tallahassee Florida and Miss Savage took those of us who were really going on, taught us Latin and so forth and so on, and helped us find books to study. So I thank God that I had 27 years at our city's oldest church, First Africa. Methodist Episcopal Church. Mm -hmm. Then in 2004, I had to step down because at age 75, mm -hmm. you have to retire. Mm -hmm. USC brought me on board in 2004, and I have been sort of with the university since then. I thank them so much. Were you sad leaving, you know, at that time, you know, retiring, or did you know it was coming and, and just... Well, you know that at age 75, you step down because that's the rule of the AME Church, African Methodist Episcopal Church, and uh, you, you have to follow the rule. Mm -hmm. But if you have really given your best to ministry, even though retired, you still will be working mm. for the uplift of the community. Yes. Okay. The church simply must take itself beyond the walls because the church exists within the walls, yes, mm. but the church also exists beyond the walls. Therefore, the church has to be sensitive beyond the walls, take prison confinement. Black males lead America in prison confinement. 50% of those in prison at this tick of the watch are black males. Black males lead America in homelessness, mm. and America leads the world homelessness. Some three uh, million 
this chick of a watch homeless. Why do you think that is? It's a good question. I would ask why would it not be? Why is it not worse than it is? Because we are the most powerful nation on the planet. We're the richest nation on the planet. But why do we lead in homelessness and in prison construction and prison confinement? Hmm. It's, it's, it's really a mystery, I think, when we look at it. But it is what it is. Exactly. What's your uh, opinion on the level of social injustice in America, and how do you think we can begin to fix this issue? I say to myself when I ask that question, because I have to ask it as a minister, I have to ask it as one who has served God since the time I was nine years of age to now where I'm 89 years of age. Why care? And the answer comes back, why not care? We have to reach beyond self or we self-destruct. We have to give to others or else we take from ourselves. Mm -hmm. So how do I find a way to make a way for those who have no way? Right. It's the challenge that we in America are called upon to meet because we have the wealthy class. They are doing fairly well, except they tend to see the wealth of themselves, mm -hmm. for themselves, and not as much as they should see the poverty of those who are not themselves. And, and I hope that we will continue as a nation to, to reach beyond self. Hmm. So and tell me, you know, and I know you may not have the answer to this, but how do we as a people, you know, avoid self-destruction in the face of adversity? Beautiful question. How do we avoid Adversity. I well, self-destructing in the face. Self-destruction. Mm -hmm. I think the cue is self, because we can be rougher on ourselves, ourselves, than enemies can be on us or ourselves. Mm. Somewhere. You have a conversation with yourself. Mm -hmm. 
It may be after you finish high school. It may be while you are in college or when you finish college. It may be after you've been confined in prison and are now set free. Because with black males, one out of 14 has been in prison. Mm. With white males, it's one out of 22 Latinos are somewhere in the middle. We learn by asking questions of ourselves. What am I going to do to empower those who have no power? And must I constantly look at myself to want to be rich, to want to have the biggest house in the neighborhood, so forth and so on. It's a blessing to lift and to be lifted as you lift. Right, absolutely. The two go together hand in hand. Yes, yes it does. Jesus taught us that. Mm -hmm. Yes, he did. What do you want the next generation to learn from your story? And how would you want them to apply that knowledge? The next generation, like my son, Drew, I make it a point that he and I have conversations communion. Presently he's 54 years of age and he is caught up in dialysis three days a week he has to go to dialysis at the health center. I am so proud that he is aware that his health is a challenge, but he's grateful to God that he can reach beyond himself to lift others who are in jeopardy, in crisis. When we were working to help gangbangers move to the next higher level, and to stop hurting each other when the Bloods and the Crips were feuding in LA, hurting, killing, going to jail for that and all. The church, the men of the church, by the hundreds, worked with us on Skid Row, worked with us in prison visitation, my son grew up with those males when he was a youth. Those, we asked the males not only to work with each other, but to work with the next generation, your children, the children of your 
friend of your brother, the children of the church, and so forth and so on. And a lot of good was done, and to this day is being done. Awesome, awesome. Tell me, how do you feel this, the city can, you know, how can I say this? You know, you're familiar with Nipsey Hussle, correct? Ooh. Nipsey Hussle? He was um, uh, a, a rap artist in the city of Los Angeles, and he was gunned down by a fellow gang member. Yes. But he was very uh, no. influential in the community. Precisely. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I feel like, this, I'm not originally from L.A., but I felt the, the energy, you know, took a shift downward when he passed away, you know, unfortunately. And um, I just want to know, how do you feel the city can over, you know, get over, not get over, but, you know, really heal from the lossing of someone that great that, you know, was a leader? I think healing will start with the decline of police killing of unarmed black males because the shooting of black males has become one of the greatest challenges that America fa faces because policemen don't exist to kill. They exist, if anything, to enhance life, to protect life. Mm -hmm. And the shooting of black men by police was one of the challenges that America truly faced. And even Trump had to admit that he might have done more as president, Congress, Senate, House of Representatives, be more active and the protection of the lives of the underserved, Blacks, Hispanics, Asians, and so forth and on. Mm. Uh, and this is great because white America is beginning to speak out about the situation mm -hmm. instead of saying we are white America. <laughs> mm, right, exactly. Tell me, why do you think many faith leaders are under-resourced and under-supported? What kind of leaders? Faith. Uh, that's a very good question. 98% of Americans believe in God. This is an example of responded to your question. 98% of Americans believe in God. And yet, in American churches of every denomination, there is a 60% dropout rate. 98% believe in God. But of that 98%, 60% I believe in God, but I don't believe in God's church. I don't believe in that 
which calls itself a representative of God. So they drop out of church attendance, mm. church affiliation, and now the church has to reinvent itself or else the pews will continue to be empty. Mm. You believe in God, you believe in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. then you should believe beyond yourself and if you love yourself, then you love your neighbor as you love yourself. Otherwise, just loving yourself is idolizing yourself. And pretty soon, you self-destruct. You not only destroy your neighbor, but you destroy yourself. Hmm. Interesting. No, I, to I totally agree. You know, um, tell me, um, what have you learned from your own journey? You know, throughout this time, all these 89 years, what have you learned? I have learned to put the mission ahead of the me. I have developed what I call the five M's, and they have been a guide in my life the last 50 years or so, five M's, mission, membership, money, maintenance, and morale. Mm -hmm. And me is a part of morale, but it comes last. The mission comes first. As a minister, the membership comes with the mission. Then money, you can't do good for people without money. So with the church system, you want to include money that is used for the homeless on Skid Row, money that is used to help prisoners being freed find jobs and find job training. So mission, membership, money, maintenance, and morale, the five M's that control our lives. Hmm. Gotcha. And, um, and you use this method to bring the church um, yes. up, you know, so tell me, you know, since you use that method to bring the church up and uplift everyone and, you know, grow it from a small congregation to a mega church, did that, did, did that exceed your expectations, you know, for at first AME? Did the, the expectation you had for first AME, did it exceed your expectations? No, mm. because I think with every human being, there is the capacity to do evil. Mm. And there's the capacity to do good. 
if you are a minister, you want to enhance doing good because doing evil is very simple. Doing good takes extra labor, extra care. Jesus gave his life on the cross doing good. He was often asked, why are you doing good? When you are supposed to be the son of God and you have power, but you use that power to do good, why do you not be human and do evil? And it is a question that is to be asked, but it's also a question, as with Jesus, to be answered. And he answered, my father has taught me to do good. My father has taught me to sacrifice myself rather than to sacrifice the other person. Sacrifice for that person, even if it takes you away, because nothing can take you away from God, your father, when you really care. So that's our hope and from what I have observed it is our salvation put God first Jesus is a part of God put yourself at the tail end put them first and they will give you the energy and the power to help those who cannot help themselves. Amen to that. Tell me, what do you feel your purpose in life is? Purpose. If I can help somebody as I travel along, if I can show somebody who is traveling wrong, yes, if I can reach beyond myself to you, my neighbor, to you, my brother, my sister, to you, who are seeking employment, to you who are seeking education, to you, mother, who are trying to rear your children, to lift the other, you, father, who are trying to lift your children to be the best that your mother and I have taught you to be. And 
so forth, if I can help somebody as I travel along, if I can cheer somebody with a word or a song, if I can show somebody who's traveling wrong, then my living, my loving will not be in vain. Mm. Awesome, great answer, great way to answer that. Tell me, who are some of the people that inspired you along the way? Because you inspired so many, but I'm curious to know who inspired you. I would have to start with my father, who's the principal of our school in Lakeland, Florida, who, when our mother died, and he took us in the car, Hemingway, South Carolina, from Lakeland, Florida. And there, his mother and father took us under their wing while he came back to Florida, this time to West Palm Beach, mm -hmm. remarried. Then one day, my brother, sister, I, in Hemingway, South Carolina, we were going out at sunset to bring the cattle home so we could feed them, take water from the well and put it in the buckets so they could have water. There, we had planted the corn as children, we had helped plant, grow potatoes, and so forth, because we were a farm mentality, and mother and father were there for us, insist that we walk the five miles to school every day, and the five miles home from school to the farm. The other kids did also, because uh, working gives you character. Working gives you a lift. And we sat in the schools, yes. My father was principal, yes. We walked home, coming along a river that ran the whole way from where the school was located to where we lived and so forth and so on. So we had a way, a map from the earliest time when we were just growing up, followed a river get home at night, light a candle, put it in the window so that those who were coming could have a guide as they made their way home. Neighbors would put lamps in the window. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, okay. Is it? Do you think it's fair to mention you amongst, you know, uh, Malcolm X and Dr. Martin Luther King? Because in my eyes, you know, with your history and everything that you've done for the community, you're definitely an extension of what they could have been if they were still alive, you know? So do you think it's fair for, to, for, to, for you to be mentioned amongst those names as well? The 60s, the 1960s were a major turning point in civil rights for African-Americans in America. I remember as a child, the farm mentality, the elementary school mentality. I remember few teachers who didn't say to you on the first day of class, now all you children, pay attention, because you're going to learn in my class. Mm -hmm. You're going to learn. And they stuck with it. This was love. Seldom was the teacher in need of a switch. Occasionally, parents, mom, dad, would send you out in the backyard at home to get a switch out of the tree. Mm -hmm. And you knew better than to bring a little branch. <laughs> you better bring a switch climb up that tree and break off a branch and bring it in here. Because when you get in the house, mom, dad, gonna have you turn your back to them and bend over. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, man, I do not miss those days. <laughs> yes, yeah, man. So, you know, at, at 89 years old, doctor, tell me, what do you do for fun? Like, what are some of your hobbies? You know, what, what do you do on your day off? Well, one of my hobbies is playing chess. Oh, favorite game. I love it. Oh, that's great. That's great. And to keep from bothering another person playing against me, I... When I got out of the Air Force, I started getting these chess sets that you play against the system. Mm. It, it is a mechanical system, and it really would teach you how to play a good game because the mechanical system is geared to make you a winner, learn, grow, and, and it, it becomes a great hobby. Playing bridge is a secondary hobby, but I never got hung too much on cards. Mm -hmm. Hey, me neither. Chess is my game. 
But no, I truly feel chess is the game of life. You know, it teaches yes. you sacrifice, how to be ten steps ahead. Yes. You know, and um, yeah, and how to use your your pieces accordingly to your advantage. Yes. You know, yes. So that's definitely my. We should we should definitely play a game sometime. I spent a year when I was in the Air Force. I spent a year at Thule. Air Force Base, Greenland. I'm looking now that Trump is looking at obtaining Greenland as a portion of the United States. Mm. It's, it's going to be a little rough to get Americans to accept it. They're not taking it too seriously. But Thule Greenland is at the top of the world, at the North Pole, and being in the Air Force and having become a first lieutenant, I was moved to be stationed at Thule Air Force, Greenland. That way we could stop Russia, we could stop China from coming across the Arctic Circle to come down through Canada to bomb America because we use the two-seated jet fighters pilot the radar interceptor pilot in the front seat radar interceptor officer using radar to shoot down the enemy planes that would be coming over the North Pole coming down through Canada to bomb America. We would take off and using radar, shoot them down until pretty soon Russia no longer would attempt. China would no longer attempt. A little problem with Russia now, but they changed a lot from being so aggressive, destructive, as with Iran and other nations. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, Pastor, you know, I, I want to thank you for your time today. You know, it's been a blessing to be in your presence. Honored to have met you. Look forward to playing chess with you. And, um, you know, I would definitely want to end this, uh, you know, with a prayer. You know, Please. so definitely... Um, you know, if you can, pray with me. Father God, thank you for your son who is as brother to all whom he meets. Thank you for the wisdom that you have given to him reaching beyond himself. Thank you that he will grow to old age and will have children to the second, third generation. Bless the family. Bless his heart. Keep him. 100 
five, a hundred, ten years of age. And we give you the praise forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Sleepers for Billionaires, the podcast. I am your host, Johnny Vegas, the Dr. Cecil Murray. Stay tuned for more episodes to come. Thank you for watching. Have a good day. Amen.